Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and boy, have I been looking forward to this show for a while. Because it's been far too long since our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, has been here. Seven weeks, to be exact. I've been going through some TP withdrawals lately. I'm like Christopher Walken. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. That's right. I've got a fever. And the only prescription is more Tom Patry. And we're going to get that tonight. So very excited about having TP back. We'll talk about last week's Open Championship, what we saw from Colin Morikawa, whether Louis Oosthuizen's season is a successful one, three top threes, right, in the majors. Is that a really good year, or is that missed opportunities? We'll get Tom's thoughts on that. We'll also talk about Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, the Olympics, and probably one or two other things as well. Looking forward to having TP, like I say, back on the show. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll be joined by golf writer Jay Ravel. Jay has written a book titled The Nine Virtues of Golf. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about his YouTube channel where he chronicles his visit to some of the greatest courses around the country like the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island, the Aiken Golf Club, Sweetens Cove. We'll talk about his journeys there and around the game of golf. Looking forward to having Jay as part of the show tonight. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from a guy who probably knows more about the technical aspects of the golf swing than anybody on the planet, and that's Bob Grissett. I'll also get Bob's thoughts on the Open Championship, plus the adjustment that Colin Morikawa made to his putter that helped him roll in those clutch 10-footers on Sunday. We'll hear if that's something that we should be considering as well. We'll also talk about our mental approach and how we can not carry the last bad shot into our next shot. Really looking forward to catching up with Bob. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Teen. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends up at the Macklemore. My buddies and I were there for our annual golf trip, and folks, it's amazing there. Everything about the Macklemore is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig had outstanding food and service, and the course lived up to every great expectation that we had. I can't say enough great things about the Macklemore. Folks, go online to themacklemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by going online to check out the course and the resort at themacklemore.com. 
Also, don't forget about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance. From the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two under performance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two under performance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA licensed briefs. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf ball. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or maybe even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. And now back, and like I said earlier, far too long of a hiatus has gone on since the last time our Director of Instruction, Tom Patrick, has been here. Tom can be found this summer at his new location up in Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia. So if you're anywhere near Virginia, West Virginia, or the Washington, D.C. area and you want to get lessons from one of the top instructors on the planet who is going to help you win no matter whatever level you might be competing at, whether it's in your club championship or just with your buddies to decide who's buying the beer at the end of the round, TP's your guy. If you can't go see Tom in person, do what I did, and that's download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing. He can help you get dialed in right through the app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and subscribe to his newsletter while you're on there. You can also subscribe to his YouTube channel and watch over 150 free playing lessons on there. Be sure to follow him on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. And like I say, it's always an honor to have Tom as part of the show. It's been far too long, my friend. How are you, Tom? Oh, how I've missed that. TP, how are you, my friend? Like I say, uh, you know, what I need, I need, you need more cowbell? I need more Tom Patrick. I can't believe it's been so long since you've been a part of the show. How are you, my friend? That 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 intro was the biggest bunch of bull crap I've ever heard in my life. And you just feel sorry for me because my Yankees suck, okay? And I don't need any pity right now. I don't need your, I don't need your pity on me right now. Just. Just stop being all flowery and stuff. It's just not like you. Just shoot it with, just shoot it right <laughs> to me. Put it right between the eyes, man. Just take a shot. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay, you asked please. for it. You got it, my friend. Hey, hey tell, man, tell me about what's going know. on with you. So, like I say, it's been seven weeks. What's going on up in Charlottesville? How are things going up at Farming Country Club? Yes, it's been great, Chris. It's, uh, you know, as I, as I reported last time, um, wonderful golf course. Um, Really nice membership. Place is in great condition. And we've had some hot weather. Our superintendent's been doing a great job. We've had some really hot weather, and he's doing a fantastic job just keeping the place alive. Uh, 
but it's a great facility, you know, and the members, they, they've just been really nice and welcoming. Uh, Charleston is a cool little town, you know, UVA in the middle of town, and, uh, it's got a cool vibe to it. It's really nice. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. I got, I got a little reprieve this week, Chris. I got to get out of here for a couple of days and I went up to my old stomping grounds and I played golf up at Wingfoot, uh, on Sunday. So that was kind of fun to get out for a little while and play a little golf. So now you gotta you gotta give us the report. How was uh how was that golf course? What's Wingfoot like to play this time of year? And uh, what was on the scorecard? The scorecard, in, in all honesty, was seventy seven. We played the East Course pretty far back. It was wet. It rained the night before. And you know the East Course is the golf course they don't play the Open on. It's the other golf course, although people don't realize they played. I think they played two or three women's opens on that golf course. They played U.S. Am on that golf course. Um, that golf course doesn't have enough credit. They went through a reno a couple of years ago and did a fantastic job lengthening it a little bit. Um, the, the greens on east might be tougher than the greens on west. They're, they're smaller. There's a lot of insulation and movement to them. Um, very high shot quality. It's a good golf course. I, 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 uh, I had two little blunders. I made a double on 10, which was a really silly double. And I, I, I three putted, uh, I three put in seventeen coming in, and, and other than that, I really actually hit it pretty good. But you just can't you can't miss out there. If you miss on the wrong side, or you get above it, you know you're you're playing very defensive golf. So, uh, considering how little I've played because I've been busy, I, I I wasn't unhappy. I actually hit it pretty good. Hit it pretty good. Tom, something else I saw that you did recently was an instructional sec uh, session, I believe, with some folks over in England on PGA Learn. Talk about what that is. Yeah, I, that came, you know, Chris, that's really interesting. That came out of right field. Um, I guess it, I guess it goes back to the power of social media. I was asked by the, uh, director of instruction for the British PGA to do a live Zoom seminar for the entire British PGA. They, they, they send out these weekly notices to them, PGA membership over there. Uh, so it includes England and Ireland. And these guys can check in for a weekly seminar talk from a, teacher or an industry industry person, you know, not unlike what we're doing right now, but just, just for PGA members. Uh, and I, I was very honored to be asked. And, and I, I asked the guy when he first contacted me um, how, how he found me. And of all places, that's what they found me on social media, on Instagram. And they wanted to you know, get my thoughts on 42 years of teaching. So uh, it, it was it was a big honor to me. And it was, it, the interview went very well. Actually, if anybody wants to see the interview, it's posted on my YouTube channel um, in its entirety. Um, it was, it, I, I was really honored just to be asked to, to speak. It was it was really a lot of fun. Good for you, my friend. As they should have you on something like that. I'm proud of you. There you go. Good for you, Tom. So, Tom, I, w- I want to stay there over in England, if you will. I want to get your thoughts on the Open. Colin Morikawa is now an impressive two-time major champion. He he wins the Open, and this is what blows me away, Tom. He wins the Open having really never played Lynx golf. I mean, he went and played the Scottish Open, which was his introduction to Lynx golf, and he finished tied for 71st there, but then he turns around and wins the Open Champions. How's that possible? Well, I, 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 I'm not taking anything away from the victory, but he got I think fortunate in the sense that, you know, there was really no bad weather. Um, it was really not a lot of wind. Um, and yet the golf course wasn't really super firm either because they've had they've had some rain previously. 
and I'm not taking anything away from the victory because I've played that golf course because I don't care how nice the weather is. That golf course is hard as hell, um, and the sight lines are very difficult off the tee, a lot of blind shots, a lot of ha- really hard to get your, get your lines right. He drove the ball spectacular, I thought. I mean, just spectacular. And, and you know, 24 years old, how composed is this kid? How mature is this kid? How far beyond his years is this kid? I mean, if, if, if you don't like Colin Moore Tower, you just don't like getting up in the morning. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The kid is, <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm a fan. I mean, I, I, I just think he's so impressive. And I love the fact that here we have somebody, you know, rising through the ranks, and he's not a bomber. He's not very big. He's not incredibly strong. Um, and I think the comparison to Tiger is is not a very good one at all. He's not the same kind of player. I mean, he's not he's not Tiger overpowered a lot of golf courses. This kid is not that player. He's he's a plotter. He's methodical. He's he's you know I would compare him more to Ben Hogan than it would to Tiger Woods. You know, he's very very methodical. Everything is very well thought out. He's very even keeled. He never gets too high, never gets too low. He, I mean, I, I just think it's incredibly impressive, Chris. Incredibly impressive. And Tom, but is that is that why he is like Tiger Woods or, or maybe a Jack Nicholas back in the day because of his mental approach? He doesn't get ahead of himself. He doesn't seem to get too high or too low like you just mentioned a moment ago. Is that maybe he doesn't hit it as far as those two guys do or did? But is that how you would compare maybe to Tiger from a mental perspective? I mean, I think all the guys that I've always been impressed with, Chris, on on tour, you know, whether they're historically before us or in our, in our own generation, guys that I really admire are guys that just can can control themselves emotionally. It's so hard over a four day golf tournament. You know, you're going to have some ebbs and flows. You're going to have you're going to get in some funny spots. You're going to have some very difficult situations. And to be able to stay mentally strong through those bad stretches and still, you know, come out the other end of the tunnel clean, Jack was unbelievable at that. You know, certainly Tiger was incredible at that. Hogan was incredible at that. Byron Nelson was incredible at that. Uh, and, and this kid seems to have that too. And then we look at people like um, Bubba Watson or Bryson DeChambeau and not so much. You know, um, so I like I like that kind of demeanor on the golf course. He just you know just rock solid. So so I would agree with you. in that respect. In that respect, yes, like Tiger. So let's expand on the other thing you said, guys that may not be as good controlling their emotions out there. And one of the, one of the guys that you didn't mention that also comes to mind that may be a little bit in that category is Jordan Spieth. And he, he went out, he had a final round, 66 in a major, which is an outstanding finish. But if you go back to the way he finished the third round on Saturday, he goes bogey, bogey. And that was the first bogey was on 17, obviously, with a wedge in his hands. And you know how great he is with the short iron. But he ends up making what I would say is an unmorphed error on 17 to go make a bogey. And then to finish with an 18-inch an putt. On 18, another thing that you would say, Jordan Spieth's not missing an 18-inch putt, but he does. And now he, now instead of being right there one stroke behind and maybe in the final group, now he's three strokes behind going into Sunday. I, I don't know, Tom, what, one of the things that, that concerns me about Jordan is that I, I don't know if he loses focus or the pressure starts to get to him a little bit. We saw it 
and 17 at the Open Championship on the 13th hole where he hits that ball so far right. It was incredible. And then, you know, he, he, he collects himself, which was outstanding. But I'm a little concerned on the mental side for Jordan. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Well, Chris, I, I, I have to agree to a thousand percent. I, I think Michael Grill has got his hands full in that bag. I mean, he's just, he's just like a Mexican jumping bean. He's all over the place all the time. And, you know, I think, you know, listen, Jordan Spieth is an incredibly talented golfer. No doubt about it. I mean, you know, he's got a great record. Uh, but since that one hot year, that, you know, incredible year he had, we haven't seen that much great golf since then. We've seen a couple of spurts here and there, but not with any consistency. And I, I, I don't quite understand, you know, how he approaches the game mentally. Uh, I still think there are some things in this golf swing that look really funny to me and that, and they don't seem like things that are incredibly hard to fix or get your hands wrapped around when you're that good of an athlete. Um, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not a big fan of how Spieth behaves on the golf course and how he goes about it. And I'm certainly not a big fan of what he seems to be missing that's highly fixable in his golf swing. Tom, another guy I want to get your thoughts on is Louis Oosthuizen. Now, look, Louis has had a, a, a great year. Three top threes. But I want, I, I'm just, I'm with for Louis. I love Louis. I'm a big Louis Oosthuizen fan. Everybody will tell you that. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed that he didn't bring one of those home. I mean, he finished tied for 26 at the Masters. If you look at, you know, his, his performance in the four majors, T2 at the PGA, second at the U.S. Open, and now tied for third in the Open Championship. We know he's had leads or been right there in the final group in those three majors. I don't know. It's sort of the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. When you look at Louis' season, and we know he's made a ton of money, but is that a, is it a successful year having three top threes in a major, or are those three missed opportunities that might not come back around again? I think they're both, Chris. I think that you know you cannot call this a, a bad year by any stretch of the imagination. You can't. You're playing against the greatest players in the world and, and four pressure cookers. And you, and you played some fantastic golf. Now, I think this one, this last one, you know, he kind of stepped on his own hands coming down the stretch, and, you know, he did it to himself. You know, any of those other ones, you know, I thought he played great golf from, from start to finish, and he, and he got beat. And sometimes you play great golf, and you, and you get beat. You know, and you tip your hat to the guy with beat team and say, you know, well done. This one, this one was a bit of a giveaway. If you look at his last round score of 71, he was the highest score by, I think, two shots over everybody in the top 12, I think. Um, so he, he didn't play a great final round. And, you know, the blunder on the uh, par five from bunker to bunker was obviously the defi- probably the defining moment of that round and took all the wind out of the sails. So this one was a bit of a giveaway. But, you know, Chris, I, I don't think you can explain to the public, having, having played golf for a living for, for eight years of my life, how hard it is play golf in that situation coming down the stretch of a major. Not that I was ever in that position, but being around that, that, that type of player, having coached some players out there and having played professional golf myself, it's it's so hard, you know, playing with the lead the last day, you know, in that environment. So I you know, I, I'm a big I'm a big Louis fan too, so I'm with you on that. And no, I don't think his last chances have passed him. I think he, I think you'll see him again. 
Tom, let's switch gears a little bit. Want to get your thoughts on the way the RNA handled COVID there at the Open. With the hoops that the players had to jump through just to be able to play in the event, but on the opposite side of that, they allowed over 30,000 fans on the grounds per day. It certainly raised some questions in my mind. It's something I talked to Mark Wiebe a couple of weeks ago about. The way I sort of view it is they really went to extreme lengths to keep the players safe and safe from one another. You need to ask Ricky Fowler about that. Um, but then they let that 30,000 fans in there were sort of like, hey, we want to keep these guys safe. You guys, you fans, eh, you do what you need to do. You come on in, no worries, be as close as you want, what have you. It, it just it felt odd to me the way they handled the situation. I don't know. What did you think? No, I'm with you, Chris. So, so I was watching on Sunday thinking about this, and I watched certain um, certain runways that where players walked from green to tee, walked off a of green to a next tee, and, you know, the ropes were up, and there were these little alleyways they walked through, and they weren't very wide, and they had a pack of fans on one side, a pack of fans on the other side, and they certainly weren't 10 feet away from either side of the rope, and fans reaching over with their hands hanging out and trying to touch the player and, and you know, shouting things at them. <laughs> so no masks on, obviously. So is that safe for the player? So you have 30,000 people on the property. You get them in certain key junctures on the golf course and the player is walking from green to tee where the fan has, you know, has the ability to get fairly close to the player. <clears throat> and then yet you put that kind of protocol on them coming over and restrict them from staying with another player, from going out to dinner. Um, listen, you know, at Memorial, when John Rahm went through that situation, those players were told, if I'm not mistaken, I, and I could be wrong on this, were told at the beginning of the week that, listen, if you test negative at any point during the event, you're out. Do what you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. But just understand, if we go through a fast test in the morning, you test positive, you're out. So why not use the same protocol? I am, I am long done in my life as a professional with both the USGA and the RNA. Sorry, long done. I, I just think, and I'm going to get in so much trouble here, but I'm, I don't really care. What a bunch of knuckleheads! I mean, just a bunch of knuckleheads <laughs> running, running, running from premier events. They just, they're just not qualified to do it. They continue on both sides of the pond to make incredibly poor decisions, whether it's course setups, whether it's protocol, and we can go on and on. I just don't get the thought process. I don't get it. So let's take that a step further and talk about poor decisions. Now we're days away from the Olympics over in Tokyo, and we've known for well over a <laughs> we've known for well over a year. That, you know, Japan is a hot spot for COVID. We have athletes testing positive who are already over there. There's not going to be any fans at any of the venues. So the athletes are going to be out there achieving great things, but there'll be a couple of people clapping for them. It's like we held an Olympics and nobody came. And I hate it for those kids, Tom. I mean, they've been training now. You know, a lot of them, this might be their last Olympics. They've been training for five years instead of four, right? Because we got the postponement from last year. Others have been training their whole lives to have sort of the thrill of the crowd and achieve it, you know, achieve great things, winning whatever the event that they're going to be playing in. But no fans. You may end up testing positive, so you miss out on the whole event anyway. They've got these crazy cardboard beds 
for these guys and gals to sleep on over there, which is another nutty thing. It's a whole different topic. But uh, your thoughts on the Olympic situation? So I don't know if you saw the article this morning in USA Today by Christine Brennan, um, who's over there covering this, I guess. Um, and she made reference to, and I don't know the exact number, but quite a few people already tested positive over there. And she didn't say this outright, but what she implied in the article was she thought there was a fairly good chance that you're not going to get through the end of the first week of these games before they're stopped and canceled. I mean, you look at NBC wow. Sports, you look at the, you look at, look at the Japanese, uh, infrastructure and what they stand to lose, it's in the billions and billions of dollars. Um, you know, it, you know, something like 50% of the Japanese population has not been vaccinated and doesn't want to be. You've got these people over there that are coming from all over the world. Okay. And now you've got a myriad of negative tests already. Oh, I'm sorry, positive tests already. And, and the implication is that maybe these games don't, they, they start, they don't finish. And, and then you have billions of dollars of lost revenue to the host country. And like you say, Chris, the most important thing is not the dollars. It's these Olympic dreams of these people who have trained for years to this situation. And because they haven't taken the right precautions, you know, that, that their dreams are going to be wiped out. And, you know, a lot of these people will not have a second chance, you know. Um, it, it's not. It's not good. It's obviously not good. Tom, I want to one more before I let you go, and I want to go back to you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau in passing a little bit ago, and we got more about Bryson at the Open. After his opening round, he said, "If I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great." But the driver right now, the driver sucks. It's not a good face for me. We're still trying to figure things out. We're trying to make it good on miss hits, et cetera, et cetera. Do we need to cut him some slack for that kind of comment? Because we all know these guys are sort of ushered right in after a round, right into the the, uh, the interview table, and then they, you know they're asked a bunch of questions. They don't get an opportunity to kind of cool down, and maybe if they they've had a frustrating round, to kind of let that sink in and and move on. But you know, when I think about what Bryson did, um, I get that he only hit four out of fourteen fairways that round but you know ben showman who is cobra's tour operations manager said that those comments were painful and stupid um bryson has a propensity to to do that sort of thing i don't know your thoughts on you know i know we've talked about bryson in the past and the whole brooks thing and all that sort of stuff but your thoughts on what he said about his equipment manufacturing company is that a hey we got to cut him some slack or is that just another stupid thing he said I cut Bryson DeChambeau at this point, Chris, zero slack. He is the premier knucklehead on the PGA Tour today and maybe the premier knucklehead in professional sports today. I mean, we have the Kepka thing. We have, the, the, you know, the, the beef me up thing. We have the driver thing now. You know, we have the caddy situation. It's just, it's just like one thing after another. You know, I mean, how many times are we going to hear this kid do something absolutely off the charts and, and, and we're going to cut him slack again? Listen, if I'm, if I'm the president CEO of Cobra Golf and that comes across the air at a major in a press conference, when I'm paying you a lot of money to endorse the product and play the product, and I've been bending over backwards 
with 9,000 tweaks to your equipment because you're out of your mind, guess what? 15 minutes later, you'd have a blank, you have a blank space on your back. Yes, I, I, I'm, I, he is. I have no time for Bryson DeChambeau, none, zero, not, not even a, a whisper. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners about uh, your website, all the great content you've put out there on your YouTube channel, and how they can uh, follow you both uh, online and on social media. Chris, before I do that, as I, as I like to do almost every time I come on here, and for everybody listening, we got to thank Chris Mascaro for putting on content every single week. And, 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 and listen, I'm excluding myself in this comment for sure bringing on some really talented people telling great stories and, and, and relaying great information to the listener out there. Uh, what a, what a great venue and a, and a great application of knowledge Chris Mascaro provides all of us every week on Next on the T. For example, tonight, a fellow named Bob Brisket, who, who Brisket, who's coming on at the end of the show, is in my mind the most talented, unknown teacher in the world, not in the country, not in the state of Florida, in the world. The man is somebody I rely on constantly for information. He's become a mentor of mine. Um, he's one of the greatest technicians on the planet right now, and somebody who's so passionate about his craft, it's incredible. And where is he? He's on Next on the Tea with Christmas Carroll, because that's who Christmas Carroll brings to the table every single week. Who cares about Tom Patrick's website? Nice job, Chris Mascaro. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying all that, TB. It means a heck of a lot to me. But um, well, it's, it's true. You know, it's Bob true. is a is a wonderful guy that you introduced me to. So uh, kudos to you for bringing Bob to to this show. So uh, I thank you as well, my friend. Yeah, well, he's he's talented. You'll, Tom, let, again, you, know, you, you got to let them know how they can stay up to date with you because you're the best, oh. my friend. TomPatry.com is the website, Chris, and then, you know, like all of us, all the social media venues, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those places. And, of course, the YouTube channel has become a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm just about to start filming probably 20 to 30 more tips here coming up pretty soon. Actually, I'm going to film uh, about 20 of them this week, as a matter of fact. And it'll take us a couple weeks to edit them, but there'll be 20 to 30 new ones in there within the next month. I can't wait for that. So, folks, go on too. Make sure you subscribe to Tom's uh, YouTube channel because there's a lot of great content that's already there. Again, over 150 videos right there. And then he's going to add 20 to 30 more. You don't want to miss it. Tom, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. You're the best, my friend. I look forward to catching up with you. Actually, you're, you're right back on the show next week. We usually go every other. But we got uh, you and Bob Ford next week. So looking forward to those conversations. Oh, really? 40 next week? <laughs> wow. That's, that's, like, right. that's, like being with, that's like being with royalty. Please tell, uh, Bo tell Bobby Griss that I said hi tonight, will you? Absolutely. We'll do it. Take care, TP. We'll catch Thanks, up again Bob. soon. Thanks, Chris. Hey, man. That's a great Tom Patrick. P-A-T-R-I. Tom Patrick Golf is where you can find him on social media. And then again, like I say, that YouTube channel, you got to subscribe to it. So much great content out there. And if you're nowhere near Virginia and you still want to get a lesson from one of the best instructors on the planet, make sure to download the V1 video app and send Tom a video of your golf swing. He can get you dialed in through that app. He's fantastic. We look forward to catching up again with Tom next week. Before I get to my next guest, Jay Revel, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. 
Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Square's golf shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. Back in 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are by far the best irons I've ever played. They are light. I have picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Like I say, everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador N.B. Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did it using Zexio 11 Woods and X Irons. Ernie Ells and top instructor Martin Hall are Zexio Ambassadors as well. See why and how Zexio can help improve your game. Go online to ZexioUSA.com. That's X-X-I-O-U-S-A.com and pick which set is right for you. All right, now next on the tee with me is Jay Rebel. Jay is a golf writer. He's written a wonderful book titled The Nine Virtues of Golf. That Tallahassee Magazine, oh, by the way, said is both agonizing and joyful, which we'll talk about here in a minute. It got many five-star reviews out on Amazon.com. Jay graduated from Florida State with his undergraduate degree in political science and his master's degree in applied American politics and policy. During his time at Florida State, he was an aide to Commissioner John Daly. He was then the executive director of the Tallahassee Downtown Improvement Authority. Moved on from there to be vice president of the Tallahassee Chamber of Commerce. And I'm very excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Jay, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, Jay. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great, man. Got uh, my daughter... uh... All bathed up, headed down for the night. A uh, little rainy afternoon here in Tallahassee today, so I uh, didn't get to play in my Tuesday night skins game. But other than that, life's pretty good, man. Good for you, my friend. 
Jay, I, I kind of want you to, to let our listeners know more about you. I know your grandfather was a head golf professional, so you grew up around the game. But talk about how the game got its hooks in you. Yeah, uh, he would certainly be the person who uh, is responsible for that. Uh, my grandfather was a head golf professional, a little nine-hole course uh, that I grew up on uh, in, the, in the booming metropolis of Havana, Florida. Uh, it's about 20 miles north of uh, Tallahassee, kind of the last outpost before you get into Georgia. And uh, we had a little nine-hole course there. I grew up on the uh, just off the fourth tee box, and me and my brother and our next-door neighbor pretty much woke up every morning in the summertime and Played golf till dark and, uh, you know, raided a few Dr. Peppers from my grandfather's shop up there and had us a, a really wonderful, uh, upbringing. And we all got, uh, pretty addicted to the game at a, at a really young age. It was a, a, a just a, a really great way to grow up. And, uh, and, you know, as I, I continued to, you know, grow with the game, I, uh, I, I migrated to the maintenance crew, you know, uh, eventually up there started mowing greens when I was about 14 years old and uh had a lot of fun getting to know the game from that perspective at the same time my my uncle was uh his name's ben bates uh some people might have heard him back in the day but he was on the pj tour for about five years and kind of had the dubious distinction of being the all-time um, uh starts and cuts leader on the uh corn ferry tour but uh great guy he's still still running the club uh over in pensacola but yeah, going out on the road and watching him uh, when we were teenagers was a, an awful lot of fun, and I got pretty competitive in the game as a junior. And um, you know, when I went off to college, I, I kind of put the clubs up for a little bit. But uh, on the other side, once I got you know some gainful employment, the uh, the golf bug came back with a vengeance, and I've been uh, playing as much as I can get away with ever since. So it's a uh, it's a real passion for me, and something that uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to get to enjoy. An awful lot, and uh, and even more so, I, I love writing about it. Uh, a few years ago, I really started uh, making a habit of, you know, putting my thoughts about the game on paper, and I'm lucky to have a few folks who like to read it from time to time. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Your book, again, it's titled The Nine Virtues of Golf, and it's, it's different. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the way I took it, Jay, is more like a collection of essays. Talk about That's how right. your yeah. book is different from everybody else's. Yeah, you know, I, I tell everybody I write J. Revel stories, and uh, those those are stories about uh, the way that golf interacts with my day to day life. And when the funny thing about it is, is uh, the more I start putting those out in the world, uh, the more I find there's an awful lot of people who share very similar experiences to mine. I, I write you know essays about what it's like to try to you know sneak away from uh, uh, the house with a baby and, you know, play a few holes before dark. Uh, I, I write about how much I enjoy playing with my dog, Leon, uh, at my side here at our local club. Uh, I write a lot about the things I like to look for when I travel for golf. I write a lot about, uh, you know, the title of the book comes from an essay called The Nine Virtues of Golf, which is sort of a, an ode to the golfer I, I, I wish I was. Um, and uh, I just try to, you know, pour my my soul, the golfing soul that I have, out onto the pages. And you know, I've been so fortunate to have people write me notes and emails and letters from around the world who have read those stories and connected with them and say, you know, I, I feel like I'm walking those fairways with you. And 
Um, I, I understand the, the conflict of having to be, uh, someone who works and helps provide for his family and, uh, you know, tries to squeeze in a few holes from time to time. So I've got a pretty deep, uh, golf obsession. There's no doubt about it. And every day I feel like, you know, my, uh, the realities of my world come into conflict with how much I love the game. And, um, uh, it's, it's kind of become the focus of a lot of my writing. And, um, you know, I also have done, um, uh, quite a bit of reporting work for, outlets like the Golfer's Journal and Golf.com and the Keller Magazine and some others. So uh, I, I don't just write J-Rebel stories, but uh, those are the ones I probably enjoy uh, spinning out the most. And, Jay, talk about your grandmother and how she inspired you and took you to many of your junior golf events and, and why she's the reason why you titled the book the way you did. So talk about her and the yeah, influence that yeah. she had on your life. Uh, she's, she's a wonderful woman and, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, a very blessed young man, uh, to still have her, uh, in my life and uh, a big part of my life. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, I said Gramps was running the shop and mom and dad were working hard trying to, you know, keep food on the table and pay for some of those entry fees to his junior tournaments. And, uh, my grandmother, a lot of times would, would take us to tournaments and events and, uh, was always there to root for us and, and just a really special woman. Uh, when I think back to my, my early childhood, I can remember her reading me, uh, stories at night. She had this book of virtues and she would read this, uh, you know, read these stories to us, a lot of these sort of classic children's tales, uh, so to speak. And when she would read those, she would, she would not just talk about them through the lens of, you know, this is the kind of things we should aspire to be, but, She'd always put a little golf twist on them too, which was really fun. And, um, you know, 20 years later, uh, I was, you know, putting the pen to paper one day and I was thinking about her a little bit. And, uh, I just always can still hear her voice when I'm out playing golf. You know, we all get a little upset from time to time when the ball doesn't bounce our way, but I can kind of hear her whispering in my ear saying, you know, don't forget, you know, you need to conduct yourself uh, in an appropriate way while you're out here on the golf course. And uh, that was just a, a huge influence on me. And uh, hopefully I can, I can live up to that golfer. She wants me to be still. And uh, you know, it helps when I can kind of write down those thoughts a little bit. And Jay, Tom Coyne wrote the foreword for your book. And Tom is another tremendous writer, a New York times bestselling author. His books include a course called Scotland, a course called Ireland. Talk about your relationship with Tom and how you got him to do the forward of the book. Yeah, Tom is a, a wonderful guy. Uh, I have just enjoyed his writing so much over the years. Enjoyed getting to know him, and uh, you know he's he's very involved at the Golfers Journal. So uh, I've, I've connected with him through that venue, as uh, as well as just um, you know really through through Twitter. Uh, Twitter, golf Twitter is a magical place, as you well know, and. Uh, it's amazing the connections you can make there. A few years ago, we, we have a big, a really cool, uh, literary festival here in Tallahassee. It's called, uh, Word of South. And, uh, this is when, when Tom had just launched, uh, a course called Scotland. Uh, I had read the book and just was really moved by it and reached out to him and said, Hey, you know, uh, I think I could get you a spot in this, uh, literary festival that, uh, I was a little involved with. And, we made that deal work. So he came to town, uh, 
and we ended up uh, playing a little golf for a few days and getting to know each other. And he got to sell some books, had a great time here in Tallahassee, and we've stayed in touch ever since. And when, um, you know, I got ready to, to put my book out, I, I sort of sent him the the first copy of the manuscript and, and said, hey, man, I, I would really love your feedback on some of this. And, you know, if you're up for it, um, you know, maybe you could even, you know, send a few words for me to help me frame it up. And so he was very kind to do that for me. And, uh, I, I, I will always treasure the words that he put, uh, to paper there about, uh, about my work. And, and that's just, you know, a really great, nice thing that, uh, he didn't have to do that, but he's nice enough to do it. And I've always found him to be the kind of person that makes time for people who, uh, share in his love for the game. And, uh, that's one of the reasons I think he's, um, uh, such a great writer about it. Jay, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts on the Open Championship, starting with something that you tweeted out on Sunday, and my son and I were saying when we saw Colin Morikawa getting ready to hit his first tee shot on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, uh, you know, here, um, we looked at each other like, what the heck is he wearing? And why would you pick out that shirt or allow someone to pick it out for you? Because if you win... You're going to look back a few years from now and think to yourself, what the heck was I wearing? Because that shirt is not going to be a part of open championship history. I don't know. It seems like you might agree with us on that. Talk about uh, your thoughts on what we saw Colin wearing. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, well said. You know, golf fashion has always uh, had a lot of conflicts with, I think, what most people would consider stylish. Not everyone. Uh, you think of you know, certain players across the history of the game that have had a lot of style. Uh, I think about Arnold Palmer, you know, Payne Stewart, uh, even you know, stood out. But, um, you know, these days, th- these clothing companies aren't doing themselves any favors. Um, the ones that really dominate, uh, you know, our viewing screen on Sunday afternoons, whether it's Nike or Adidas or, uh, you know, some of these, uh, some of these big companies, they, they just, they continue to pivot to, to stuff that's just flat out ugly. I don't, I don't really know any other way to put it. And, uh, that, that shirt he had on, I think he will, he will, you know, regret that. I, I always joke, you know, with my friends, if you go back and, uh, look at my pictures from when I'm 12 years old or look at me now and probably when you look at me when I'm 75 years old, uh, you're going to see pretty consistent, uh, wardrobe, you know, uh, uh, a lot of khaki shorts and, uh, you know, solid color polo shirts that look pretty, pretty crisp no matter what age you are. And I just always hate to see somebody come trotting out in a shirt that, uh, isn't going to age very well with time. I mean, think of how many majors we can look back on. You know, they were showing the highlights of Greg Norman when he won there and at St. George's in 93 and he had on the most loud and obnoxious, you know, uh, shark shirt that just was pink and orange and kind of speckled. And, you know, it's like, man, that's, that's the picture they're going to hang of you in the Hall of Fame one day, uh, and show on the golf channel, you know, 25 years from now. So you better, you better get something you like and look good in. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of these clothes are falling well short on that. Yeah. I got to say, I love the videos on your YouTube channel, Chronicles of a Golf Tribe. And one of the places you went is a place we've talked about on here on this show recently with a good friend, Mitch Lawrence. And that's Aiken Golf Club, which is a wonderful historic course just down the road from Augusta National. Talk about why it's so special. Yeah, that's that's uh, one of my favorite places. You know, like I said in my book, uh, The Nine Virtues of Golf, there's a chapter in there 
that I wrote or an essay in there called How to Travel for Golf. And, you know, for me, if you're going to take a golf trip, you want to go look for places that you're not going to find anywhere else. You know, don't go play the golf course in South Carolina that could just as well be in any other state. Go find the one that's got a lot of character uh, and a lot of uh, history and a lot of charm. Those are the kind of places that I go to seek out. And uh, the Aiken Golf Club just has all that in spades. It's, um, it, it, it just, when you walk on the grounds there, you, know, you kind of pull into this parking lot that's really adjacent to this road. It's and, and not even really a parking lot. It's just spaces on the street. And it feels, it, it's got a very, uh, uh, you know, British, uh, feel to it in that it, it feels very connected to the town. The downtown's only, you know, maybe a half mile away up the hill. And down here at this bottom, you have this beautiful golf course with just rolling hills, and double greens, and unique features. And the clubhouse just looks like it just got plopped right out of the English countryside. And it's got cracks and crevices and, uh, creaky boards and it's, it's exactly the kind of place that I love to go and hang out. And the coolest thing about it to me is you can plop down $50 at the desk and, and, and play all day long. You know, the day that I spent there, uh, that's featured in that video, uh, from a few years ago, um, uh, was, uh, I was up there actually visiting to go watch the Augusta National Women's Amateur that week. And, um, Told my friends, we got to go play Aiken. I've read it all about it. It's just fantastic. I'm hearing such good things. And uh, going to you know, mention, I might have even talked about it at some point now that I think back on it. And uh, went there and just had just an outstanding experience. You know, you, you tee off on number one, you kind of crest this hill, and you go down on this just wonderful um, South Carolina countryside adventure. And uh, it's exactly the kind of place that I think about when, um, you know, I, I, I dream, daydream about moving to, you know, some little golf obsessed town that, uh, got a good course that, that's aching for you. And Jay, you've also been to a place that I'm dying to go to as well. And that's Sweetens Cove, which is a, you know, one of the top courses in the country, but it's unique in that it's a, it's a nine hole course without many frills around it, sort of in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, but a heck of a great golf course. Talk about what you think about Sweetens. Yeah, I, I, if you haven't been there, folks, I would, I would highly recommend you, uh, make yourself a, a venture out to the big city of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, because that's a magical place. In fact, I, I would, you know, you were kind of recounting my career a little bit, uh, you know, during the intro, Chris, and, um, somewhere, uh, during that, uh, career adventure, uh, I actually took a bit of a detour. Say, so I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, it was the first time I ever played Sweet Cove. I was up there for a wedding in Chattanooga, and I told a couple of pals, hey, we got a car a couple hours before this thing and slide over here and see this golf course. I'm just hearing amazing things. And this was still, you know, really in the early days uh, of, of their success. And we got out there, and it was like, it was, I, you know, I, I felt like I'd walk into the field of dreams. It's just this incredible view from this parking lot where there's all they have is a, a shed for a clubhouse, you know, shed you can go buy at Lowe's or Home Depot. And, um, I just was blown away from the minute I stepped foot at the place and you tee off and you just go on this, you know, this walkabout, uh, designed by you know, Rob Collins, Tad King. And he, you can sense that they poured everything they had into it. Uh, and then, you know, that they had this ownership in it, that they had this desire to make this obscure golf course 
something you would never forget. Um, and everybody I know who goes there has a, a pretty similar experience. But, you know, for me, I remember I was so moved by it. I remember coming back to work Monday, and I was sitting in a meeting. And, and you know, of course, I don't remember what the meeting was about because I wasn't paying that much attention. But by the time the meeting was over, I looked down at my notebook, and I had scribbled all these notes about my time up there. You know, probably, you know, I think we may might have played uh, the first, you know, the the full nine holes, and then gone back out about four or five holes more, uh, knowing we had to get back to this wedding. But I had scribbled down all these notes, and I had I noticed I had written a couple one-liners, and the next thing I know, I've got this essay that I wrote about it. And uh, if you've ever seen or followed the guys at Sugarloaf Social Club on uh, Instagram, they're some good friends of mine, and uh, I sent them a copy of it and said, "Hey, I don't I don't really know what this is. I don't really know what to do with it, but." It's, it's some feelings about a, a great place for golf and what do you think? And, and they liked it. And so they said, well, why don't we publish it on our site and we'll see how it does. And, you know, we'll see, see what people think. And they published it and an awful lot of people read it and I started getting feedback and Rob Collins reached out to me himself and I got this feeling. I said, man, this, that's pretty cool. I, I think I'd like to do this again. And so, uh, from that day forward, I, I, I became a golf writer. I, I started, you know, venturing out and every time I traveled, I put pen to paper and tried to tell some pretty compelling stories. And so Sweden's has a, a really special place in my heart. Um, I haven't been up there in a couple of years, need to get back. But, uh, every time I think about how lucky I've been to, you know, travel and, uh, pursue golf riding, I think back to that. That first time I ever played there, because if it weren't for that round, I, I might not have ever found that talent. Okay, one more before I let you go. And you've got a wonderful podcast called Mid Am Crisis. And you recently got to spend some time with 2003 Open champion Ben Curtis, a guy who seemed to come from out of nowhere when he won that Open championship. But he really had a successful amateur career in his home state of Ohio. He would go on to win a, a few more times on the PGA Tour, and he actually contended. And a couple of opens beyond that in the open championship in 07 and 08 and then finished tied for second in the 08 PGA championship. Talk about your conversation with him. Yeah, I, I, thanks for pointing that out, Chris. I, uh, I launched the podcast, uh, Mid Am Crisis back, uh, in October of 2020. And, uh, it was just something I sort of started on a whim. I, I said, yeah, I want to have some, uh, a new outlet to have in-depth conversations with my friends from the golf world. Uh, and, and the funny thing about that is in the golf world, and I'm sure you can attest to this, that, that friendship circle tends to grow over time. Uh, and, uh, I've been fortunate to make some really cool connections, uh, through writing about the game and, and to meet some really interesting folks. And the podcast has become a wonderful, uh, tool to facilitate further conversations and relationships. And so, uh, I reached out to Ben a couple of weeks ago, you know, knowing the Open was coming back to Royal St. George's. Uh, I think he kind of gets a, a bit of a raw shake. You know, people kind of chalk him up as a fluke winner. But again, to your point, you know, he's a four-time winner on tour and was on a winning Ryder Cup team for the USA and had a lot of other close calls and uh, a very competitive career, which is, uh, you know, not easy to do. And, and the fact that he won that major uh, and his first start in a major, first start in the British Open, uh, I just have always found that to be an incredibly compelling story. So, uh, I reached out to Ben and said, Hey, would you like to come on and talk about that a little bit? And, 
uh, he spent about an hour with me and, and it was so neat is he went and took me through, you know, a day by day account, uh, of that week. And I, I, as funny and, and, and interesting and gripping as all of the details of the tournament itself were, I think the thing that was so interesting to me was that he took his wife into London for a whole day of, you know, tourist activities two days before the tournament started because he didn't know if he'd ever come back again. Uh, and I just always thought that, you know, probably played a bigger role than you think, probably put him in a, in a nice, relaxed mindset. But, uh, it was a great conversation and, um, it's, it's a pretty good, uh, testament to the kind of conversations that I try to have on the show. We've had some really fascinating guests, uh, of late and, uh, continue to try to rack those up. So, uh, if you like hearing, uh, you know, really in-depth conversations, uh, with people who have, uh, a real passion for the game, that's a good place to find it. I'd love to have uh, people tune in and, and give it a listen. Well, to that end, Jay, talk about where they can find the podcast and then how they can also stay up to date with all the great things you're doing on your website and then follow you on social media as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, the main home for most of my things uh, online is jrevel.com. That's about to go through a little bit of a renovation soon, but uh uh, it's got, you know, pretty much a good place to find everything all in one stop. I've got a new, uh, newsletter out as well. If you go and search Mid-Am Crisis on Substack, uh, I'm actually publishing some regular essays and musings under that same Mid-Am Crisis name, uh, there on a weekly basis, which has been fun. And you can find the podcast, Mid-Am Crisis, on anywhere podcasts are available. And, uh, be sure to hit me up on Twitter. I'm just at JRevel. Um, and, uh, I'm usually spouting out about golf on there at least a few times a day. And, um, yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram too, where I'm at J Revel Rights and, uh, try to post some, some fun musings there as well. So I would love to connect with anyone. Um, that's my favorite part about, uh, yapping about golf online is all the cool people we get to meet and, uh, new friendships. That's what this game's all about, you know? Indeed. Well, Jay, it's certainly been a, a thrill to have you as part of the show. You're a lot of fun, my friend. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Hey, anytime, man. And uh, I, we can always talk fashion sense or whatever else you want to get into. So, uh, <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Chris. And, uh, I'll, I'll be looking forward to the next chance we get to chat, buddy. As will I. Jay, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. You too, Chris. Be well, bud. You too. Take care, Jay. That's Jay Revel, and his last name is spelled R-E-V-E-L-L. And again, uh, The Nine Virtues of Golf is a wonderful read. Like I say, five stars, a lot of, a lot of great five-star reviews out there on Amazon.com. And uh, as you heard, Jay is a, you know, I love, I love the enthusiasm in his voice. I love the positivity. I love the stories. I love, you know, how family gets involved in the game as well as grandfather, his grandmother, and then, uh, Great videos out there on his YouTube channel. We just talked about a couple of the great golf courses that uh, that he has uh, chronicled. So there's a lot more out there. So I, I highly encourage you to subscribe to his YouTube channel. And then uh, we will certainly get Jay back on the show again soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Bob Grissett, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing fin cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. 
Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now next on the tee with me is not only one of the top instructors in the game, but a guy who probably knows more about the technical parts of the golf swing than anybody on the planet, and that's Bob Grissett. Bob played his college golf at the University of Miami. He's been named by Golf Digest as one of the top instructors in the state of Florida. He is the former director of instruction at the club at Morningside in Rancho Mirage, California, now resides down there in South Florida. He's written a couple of wonderful books, 10 Lessons, the True Fundamentals of the Golf Swing, and 10 Keys, the Basic Elements of the Golf Swing. Bob is a wonderful human being on top of all of that, and I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, Chris. How you doing? I hope you have a Steelers shirt on. <laughs> I've actually got my, my old course shirt on tonight in honor of the Open Championship this past week. But, uh, you know, if um, I was going to have a sports team shirt on tonight, Bob, I would have had my Red Sox shirt on for in honor of TP with him and his uh, stinky Yankees. So I would have had that, but uh, I chose for the uh, the old course shirt. He, w- he wouldn't have even been able to utter a word. <laughs> yeah, they took us two out of three this past week, and I got to give them a little bit, but yeah, not much. So, uh, but uh, anyway, how, how are? It's been a minute, Bob. How are you? I'm doing okay, Chris. Uh, you know, just 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 chugging along, trying to get people worse. <laughs> <laughs> Which is definitely not not the case. But like I said in your intro, Bob. And, and, and TP, by the way, sends, uh, sends his, uh, regards. We talked about you at the beginning of the show, uh, during the first segment. Um, but, um, you know more about the, the golf swing than I think anybody on the planet does. And you di- dissect it better than anybody. You frame it up better than anybody. Talk about how you became so entrenched in every aspect of the golf swing. Uh, through the years. Uh, in trying to become, um, through a lot of teachers, um, it would be a who's who list, you know, from, um, Ledbetter to the, to the, uh, first authorized golfing machine instructor, Ben Doyle. Of course, my, uh, first teacher was Johnny Revolta. Um, then I had Mr. Toski for four years when I was, uh, going through college. So it's been quite an adventure. And uh, it's always been a continual study. I have a huge library of the gospel, and I've studied, you know, the history. Um, I mean, there's so many interesting facts, like Alex Morrison uh, taught Henry Picard. Henry Picard was one of the few guys who 
work with uh, Pope Dean, and also taught Grout, Grout taught Nicholas. So, you know, it's been kind of a love affair studying the, the history of the game, the evolution of the golf swing, uh, what's changed, what hasn't changed. Um, and that I never stop learning. I think that's the key to, you know, any advice I give any would always be to uh, continue learning, you know, as they go along. Um, so that's sort of been my, my love, love affair. And Bob, you mentioned Jack Grout a moment ago, and, and I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan. And, and, uh, I know you got to, uh, you know, spend some time with Jack Grout and you, you mentioned that he, uh, he was, he was Nicholas's instructor. What, what are some of the principles that, uh, that you saw that, uh, Jack Grout was able to instill into Jack Nicholas that maybe, you know, I, I think we, we get so wrapped up in, in the now and, and, and players today. We don't give enough credit to the history and like you mentioned studying the guys from way back when and the, and the Hogan's and the Nicholas's and all that sort of stuff. But what is something you gleaned from Jack Grout that, uh, that he got into Jack Nicholas that we should probably adopt into ours, whether it's our golf swing or our thought process? Yeah. When I worked with Jack, he was at LaCourse country club in Miami, uh, which is where he wintered. And then of course he was in, uh, in Ohio during summertime. You know, I think I think the uh, the main thing that Grout taught Nicholas, and you know, this would be attributed a lot to, to Alex Morrison, was the most important thing is stable hub. I don't think there's any time that Nicholas has talked about the golf swing where he didn't emphasize the importance of that. The other thing that he did uh, worked on a lot was Nicholas's footwork, um, where he would get him to to roll his left ankle on the back swing and roll his right ankle on the forward swing. So kind of, kind of upstairs, downstairs. Um, uh, I have, I have some, some nice photos. As you know, I have a pretty huge library photos and videos. I have some nice photos of, of Mr. Grout behind, uh, uh Jack, uh, photos of, of, of Mr. Grout holding Jack's hair, not to keep his head down. To keep it stable, because one of the things that he encouraged Jack to do was to allow his head to rotate. So before Nicholas took the club back, uh, one of the things that he developed in his routine, um, in, in, you know, once he would get set up to the ball, he would waggle three times, and then just before he started the takeaway, he would turn his chin to the right, and at the same time squeeze his elbows together uh, to get his arms closer together. Um, so he, so that was a, a big thing that he encouraged, a stable hub, but allow the head to rotate a little to the right on the backswing. And I think one of the biggest tips I could give amateur golfers out there would be to allow the head to rotate on the forward swing. You know, I think I think the head downage uh, has ruined more players than any single thing that I can think of. Um, not allowing the neck and the head and the eyes to rotate on the forward swing, uh, like throwing a ball. If you were going to throw a ball sidearm in a submarine, you would, you certainly would release your head. You wouldn't hold it down. Uh, I think, I think, you know, people attribute topping the ball to lifting the head. And, you know, I, I feel like the vast majority of people who top the ball are, are bending their limbs or pulling their elbows apart, bending their arms. And part of that is because they hold their head down, their right side can't move forward. So I would say the main thing that he did with Nicholas was the footwork and a, a stable hub. 
let's take that a, a step uh, further because to your point, and, and I heard this throughout my golf life, keep your head down and still. Right. And to your, to your other point about topping the ball, that's what we all say. Yeah. Move your head. Right. You top the ball, but that's not necessarily the case from what I just heard you say. Talk about the difference between keeping your head down and that's no good to how you want to rotate it by not coming off the ball and then topping it. How do we not do that? Yeah. So, you know, a couple things in that question. I mean, I, first of all, you know, I would say virtually nobody has ever topped a golf ball because they lifted their head. I mean, the head is an appendage that's attached to your shoulders. And, you know, it's possible that people can early extend on the downswing or stand up and the head would rise, but you could tilt your head downward and, it, and you would still, if you rose, you would still rise. I mean, there's nothing that's going to change that. The head isn't going to change that one iota. Um, but, but bending the arms is, is a very typical. I had a lady come to me many, many years ago. You know, she was insistent at that time I had two ways of teaching. Uh, I taught with an 8-track Sony cam, uh, which was a, a certain price for that lesson, or I would give a lesson without a, a camera, which many people availed of because it was cheaper. So that's what she did. And, you know, during the lesson, she had, she just had rolled about 20 in a row. Uh, and, you know, and Sith and I was filming, which is what I typically did. And she, at that time, using an 8-track Sony, which is uh, as big as a car, <laughs> um, we didn't have the um, the uh, analysis software that we had today. So what I had to use was I had to I had to plug the 8-track into to an, to an 8-track player on a TV, and then I had a book of pictures that I would make comparisons. But in her particular case, her head would drop 12 inches on the downswing, but her arms would, and obviously if you have an inch deficit there, you're going to hit the ball or the top of the ball. So she would top every single ball. Um, the other reason people top typically is they're trying to lift it up in the air. So then what happens is they stay on their back foot and they kind of flip their wrists. Um, and the club will generally hit fast and thins and, you know, a lot of times, They'll top it from there. Uh, the best drill uh, that I use to help people um, learn to rotate their head yet keep it the same height. Now, keeping it the same height isn't the same as keeping your head down. Another favorite is keep your eye on the ball. Well, you know, one of the one guy that I worked with for many years had won national blind championship uh, 15 times, and I certainly never told him to, to keep his eye on the ball. Um, the ball is a stationary object, which is different than other sports. You play baseball, you don't really, you know, the pitch can be a lot of different spots, but the golf, golf ball is sitting on the ground. So the, you know, my favorite drill, I think, that would help most people is a head-on-the-wall drill where you take the crown of your head and you put it against the wall. You can't use a club with this, but you make back swings, down swings, and forward swings. And that will not only keep you stable, but it'll also keep the same height. Um, but you got to allow your head to turn a little bit to the right on the back and turn completely through on the left uh, as you go forward. As I said, throwing a ball, you couldn't throw a ball sidearm if you didn't release your head. So a lot of the a lot of the chicken wing is created. I you know I say people tell them that basically they run out of right arm, and the reason they run out of right arm, right shoulder can't go forward because the head's down. 
So uh, head on the wall, allow the head to rotate uh, would be a really key thing for the vast majority of players to work on. Bob, I want to get your thoughts on Colin Morikawa's swing, in particular his backswing. It's slow, very deliberate, and then he explodes through the ball, kind of very similar to what I, I, I believe Hideki Matsuyama does as well. Is that something that average golfers like myself should do as well? Should we adopt that kind of slow, deliberate backswing and then explode through the ball? Um, can that help us keep it, you know, keep the plane, keep, keep ourselves on plane, keep the swing in the right path and keep the, the face square at, a, at, uh, at contact? Chris could. I mean, it, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it would be something I would absolutely advocate for everyone. You know, I think you have to swing a golf club at a speed that you can coordinate. Um, you know, he, he's a, first of all, I mean, this kid is, uh, the greatest thing that occurred golf, in my opinion, in a long, long time. Uh, his parents, his college coach, Rick Sessinghouse, his, his swing coach have done an amazing job making this kid. I mean, he's at the presentation ceremony. He's just won, a, uh, won the Open Championship, and the first thing he says when they hand him the microphone is he spends three or four minutes congratulating the amateur golfer uh, who had finished the tournament. And that was just, I mean, everything that comes out of this kid's mouth is unbelievable. That's sad. Um, uh, best, uh, best ball striker on the tour, uh, to, to show that. Uh, going into this tournament, he ranked first in that category, shots gained. Uh, he ranked 170th in putting. So he had a really good week putting. Uh, I mean, yesterday was, uh, he putted incredible. I mean, he made everything. Uh, but it's kind of a unique swing. He's got a, he's got a relatively weak left hand grip. Um, uh, kind of a neutral to slightly strong right hand grip. Uh, and then, as he takes the club back, he, he, he increases the flexion in his left wrist, which you're kind of seeing the commonality with a lot of the younger players today. You see it from Victor Hovland. You see it from John Rahm, of course, Dustin Johnson. Um, and there are many reasons why that's a good thing. But what's interesting is as he gets to the top of his swing, he'll actually increase the flexion in his left wrist as he starts down. And what that does is it closes the club face slightly to the arc of the swing, which allows him to be able to rotate pretty freely through impact with, and get a free release without having to, to get a lot of crossover in his hand, which creates a tremendous amount of timing. I, I really believe that if the, if the public out there were to get a flat or slightly flexed, which just means slightly bowed, left wrist at the top of their back swing, we could eliminate slicing. Because because most players, the average player, take away, he'll roll it open, then to get then get the shaft more vertical, he'll cup his left wrist, extend it at the top, which gets the face more open. Then he'll start down steep, sensing that, he'll tilt way to the right, then after he tilts to the right, um, uh, he's doing that to try to shallow the clump somewhat so it doesn't come in so steep and then that's going to create early extension which is the pelvis moving towards the ball and then he's going to get hip stall as soon as he gets hip stall he's going to have a hard time consistently match matching club face 
to the golf ball. He's going to miss left. He's going to miss right. And he's going to have days that he hits it straight. Uh, and I think the, the confusing part is that people think that they're swinging better on, on days that they hit it better, on shots they hit it better, and all they've really done is, is they've timed a, a complete mess in terms of a swing. So I think, I think that, you know, that your original question was, uh, more to do with his, his slowish takeaway, uh, and, and there isn't anything wrong with that, although that isn't the reason he's good. Uh, the reason he's good is because, uh, uh, of the of the other positions he gets in his golf swing. And Bob, you talked earlier about uh, all the things you post out on Instagram, and you recently posted something that Morikawa said, which is, you would be surprised how many bogeys are made by a flawed thought process. Talk about that, and how can we do a better job of making good decisions on the golf course so we don't compound a you know, one bad shot into another bad shot, which it leads to a bad round? The quick answer would be, and I'm going to make a plug for someone. Quick answer would be everybody should sign up for decade, decade golf. Um, Scott Fawcett has done an amazing job. I don't know if you've had Scott on your show, but if you haven't, you should try to get him on. He's done an amazing job of teaching people how to play golf. Um, because most people that go on the golf course have no clue. Um, you know, they, they, nothing is mapped out in their mind. So when Colin is playing, what he's doing is, um, mapping out the best angles that he can create to hit his tee shot and hit it into the green. Uh, now obviously you have to have some sort of an ability to hit the golf ball. Uh, but I still think that, you know, when I, when I've given playing lessons to people, um, the thought processes, um, the way they chip and pitch the ball, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So, uh, I, I think a lot of people, uh, w- would do, would do a lot better. Uh, and I think golf pros should be giving more playing lessons on the golf course and watch their sinking thinking and teach them how to be able to save shots. Uh, but decade golf does a remarkable job of, of, um, exploiting that or telling people, you know, a simple example when you have a par five um, and you have water down the left side, um, you have your fairway, and then over on the right side is is a few trees. You know, so the question would be, where should you aim? Well, the one place you don't want to hit it is the water. So the aiming isn't necessarily try to hit it in the center of the fairway. The aiming there might be to hit it over to the right, even if you hit it in the tree somewhat, you can still make a five. But if you hit it in the water, you can't make a five. I mean, it's just simple things like that. And 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 I, I will tell you that that Mr. Morikawa is a firm user and believer in decade golf. Bob, one of the other things that uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on is how do we recover when we might have hit it into the trees or we, uh, we're avoiding something or maybe it ends up in the rough, that sort of thing. Um, because we don't ha- really have the opportunity. The average golfer doesn't have an opportunity to take a shag bag or go hit 20 or 30 balls out of deep rough to understand how to hit it and how to get it out. We don't, we don't get to practice 
going into the trees and trying to figure out how can we hit a low shot to punch it out of the trees and get it back into play. I mean, those are, those are things that we don't get an opportunity to practice because we're not, you go to the average you know, driving range, you can't practice that shot anywhere. How, how do we get better at recovery shots when we don't really have that much of an opportunity to practice them? You know, interesting, Chris, I, I in the vast majority of tour players, they're on the golf course, um, and you see them with a great shot out of a certain area, it's probably never been practiced. I mean, I mean, they're not going out in rocks and practicing, woods and practicing. You know, what they've learned to do is they've learned to be able to control a golf ball so they can curve it in both directions. And they can hit the ball on different, different trajectories, and they can control that. Um, you know, DJ in short game, you know, works on three or four different trajectories going into the green, depending on that. But the answer to your question is you, you can't be afraid of making bogey because try to hit a hero shot, you're going to make a double or triple. And, and the thing that kills anyone in scoring is three putts and penalty strokes. You know, you just get, and, and I would add into that double bogey triple pokies. And you would be shocked and surprised how many times you hit a ball, uh, you're in you're in the trees and you hit the ball out into the fairway uh, and then you knock you hit an iron out of the green and make putt for a par. I mean it's gonna happen. Not every time, but it's certainly gonna happen more often. The the point is the percentages uh, and your total scores will go down that type of thing. And that gets back to decade golf again. Now what the tour players do rehearse I believe the basis of a golf swing is a punch shot. I, I think that 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 first thing that I'm teaching people to do, um, I'm teaching them to have break finishes and a punch shot because they're going to press the ball. They're going to hit it solid. They're going to control the low point of the swing, which is the most important thing. Uh, that's going to produce a more compressed shot and a more consistent hit. Uh, you know, so I I, I spend my days. Um, getting people to uh, finish chest high. I mean, the interesting thing about this is that arguably Tiger may have played his best golf hitting stingers, and stingers are punch shots. Um, and he he's sort of got away from that a little bit, but o- over the past, you know, in his comeback the past couple of years, he started hitting a lot of stingers again. And you know, I prayed I prayed a God every day that we can see him play again, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, so in answer to your question, you know, I think, I think not trying to hit the hero shot, uh, not trying to hit a shot you're not capable of, because again, uh, the shots that Colin hit on a couple of the greens that he missed yesterday, he hasn't practiced those shots. I mean, he's practiced a flop shot. Um, so he knows how to do that, but, 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 you know, the circumstance that he may be under where how much green he has to work with, where he has to land the ball, you know, that's native talent. He's got the ability to be able to hit that flop shot and be able to judge the distance and the various lives that he may get into. Um, you know, I, I suppose that when he was over there and under the circumstance, in fact, I, I, I don't suppose I saw him do it. I mean, there was times there where he was putting a ball in, Deeper area. He did a lot of short game practice, it seemed. 
Kane was putting the ball in higher grass to just see how we react. That that you can do. I mean, most amateurs can do that. But most amateurs, uh, you know, we can quote my our friend Mr. Patry that most amateurs never practice short game, short game, short game. You know, Tom is right. Tom is pretty. I'm sure he ended the show today with those three words, right? <laughs> he didn't end this show, but you know, he has certainly pounded that into my brain over the years that uh, TP has been coming on. So. You're absolutely right. That is something that uh, we should be doing more of. And Tom is right by by pounding that in my head because, as uh, Gary Player said uh, throughout the years, right, the majority of the game is played from 100 yards in. So that's the opportunity to save strokes if we can get uh, we can get up and down. If we can from 100 yards in, if we get in the hole in two instead of three or four, we have an opportunity to lower our scores a bunch. I want to talk about the mental side of the game for a moment because another place that we tend to go wrong is we get down on ourselves when we've had a bad shot and we carry that into the next shot maybe into the next couple of holes until we calm down i know mr hogan used to always say the most important shot in golf is the next one and dustin johnson likes to talk about you know i hit i hit a shot and wherever it lands i go find it and, and then i hit the next shot so you, you got to learn to to leave the last shot in the past and a lot of us aren't good at that. How do we become good at it? Well, I will start with the, the first thing you shouldn't do is when you get on a par three that's 174 yards over water that you reach in your bag and you pull out an old ball. That's the first place I started. I wouldn't do that because immediately <laughs> you're in the water, right? And then you, that's going to be self-fulfilling. So, you know, I think I think being able to um, you know, one of the things you can do on the practice range, which, which, um, Hogan used to do this when, uh, if he was playing in a particular tournament, he would actually play 18 holes on the range. And, you know, what he would do is he would go through, uh, you know, the first hole, hit the piece shot, hit the seven iron in the green, he then, then hit a seven iron. And I think in, when people practice, there's too much beating balls to the same distances. You know, I, I, when I have, uh, when I work with my tour players and we're using either a foresight or a, or a, uh, uh, a track man, you know, that's one of the things we do is, is we'll go through almost a whole day where we're just calling different distances out for each shot because that's what you encounter on the golf course. So I would encourage people when they practice, you know, to stagger what they're doing. You know, hit a, hit a 40 yard wind shot. And hit a semi and then hit a driver and then go back and hit a 20 yard shot. I think that's the way that you should practice. That's what's going to happen on the golf course. You're not, you're not hitting seven irons 160 yards each time, whatever distance you hit. Uh, and I think, I think that in terms of the mind, um, uh, this is a hard thing for people, but, but you're a human being and a missed golf shot. Hogan also said, um, golf, is not a, uh, golf is not a game of perfect. It's a game of great misses or good misses. And, and that's what's going to happen around the golf course. You're going to miss if you can't beat yourself up about that. You, know, you should have some sort of an idea. I, I, I think that if a person has been trained correctly by a professional, a good coach, he should have some idea when he hits a bad shot why he hit it. 
and that should help him immediately uh, have the confidence that he can immediately hit a good shot. But it's very important to visualize good shots and not beat yourself up. I mean, that's the worst possible thing you can do. I don't care what, talk to anybody in any sport. You know, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali was asked one time about uh, one of the reporters said, you know, told him that he was arrogant. And he said, he said, no, but I'm definitely convinced. <laughs> That's a great line. Bob, before I let you go, let our listeners know how they can get a copy of your book and then stay up to date with what you're doing on your website and on social media as well. Okay. I have two books. I have 10 keys, uh, basic elements of the golf swing, which is really geared towards an average player. And then I have 10 lessons through fundamentals of the golf swing, which is geared towards techies and better players. That's a 730-page book. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong uh, dream to write such a book. But, uh, uh, that's available on my website, which, which is uh, Bob Grissom Golf. And, and it's, it's spelled B-O-B-G-R-I, double S's and Sam. ETT is in Tom, golf.com. Both books are available there. I highly suggest the PDF format versus the printed format. The big book, uh, is, uh, eight and a half by 11 and weighs eight pounds. So, uh, you know, you can, you can get the PDF and throw it in an iPad. It's terrific. That's how I use it. Um, that's my website. My, my uh, lesson rates are on there. My online programs are also on the same site. Uh, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. But but I would say I do most of my posting on Instagram, and then Instagram is just at Bob Grissom. Um, and would love to have comedy. Uh, you know, where there's there's uh, there's an awful lot of uh, good material that I try to furnish as often as I can. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Um, I have TP to thank for introducing us. You're, you're a wonderful person, first of all. Uh, you've been a great supporter of this show and I can't thank you enough for that. And then, uh, to come back and share more of, uh, your insights and, uh, your playing lessons, uh, it means a great deal to me and I know it means a great deal to our listeners. So thank you very much for coming back tonight. You're fantastic, my friend. Uh, it's my pleasure, Chris, anytime. And, and you're, you're a great interview. You ask great questions and, and, you know, every golfer out there just continue to watch uh, or continue to listen to this podcast because Chris is, Chris is the bomb. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that, Bob. I think you're the bomb as well, my friend. Thank you so much for your time tonight. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Anytime, Chris. Have a great evening. You too, Bob. That's the big, uh, Bob Grissett. Again, G-R-I-S-S-E-T-T is the spelling of his last name, and he's a fantastic follow on Instagram, folks. I can't tell you enough about the great content that he puts out all the time, and he breaks down the swings in a way that helps us understand how to execute like the pros do. And, um, his, uh, his, his, uh, Instagram page is absolutely outstanding. His, uh, his website is great as well. And, uh, just like PP, if you're looking, you're not in the South Florida area and that's what, and that's where Bob's home is. He's down in South Florida. If you're not anywhere near that, but you say, you know what? 
this guy is as fantastic as advertised. And I, again, I tell you, nobody knows more about the technical aspects of the golf swing than Bob does. You want to get lessons from somebody that can break it down for you and help you fix your golf swing, then you got to go online and, and get a lesson from him. He's, uh, as you heard, he's just a wonderful human being, first and foremost. And then he's a great, uh, great instructor as well. So hopefully we get the opportunity to get Bob back on the show again soon. And I certainly hope you'll take advantage and, and follow him on Instagram and then get a lesson from him uh, over video as well. He's fantastic. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, I want to let you know that tickets are on sale now for the Tour Championship here in Atlanta at Eastlake Golf Club. The tournament's going to be held September 2nd through the 5th. Eastlake is one of the most prestigious and beautiful golf clubs in the country. If you've never been to the tournament, you're going to be wowed by the course, the amenities, and how well you're treated there. Go online to tourchampionship.com to get your tickets to watch the top 30 players on tour this season decide who will be the FedEx Cup champion and who walks away with the $15 million first place check. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out again to Tom Patrick, Jay Revel, and Bob Grissett for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are Tom Patrick. He's going to be right back with me next week. Typically, it's every other week with TP, but he's right back with me because right behind him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of the other top instructors on the planet, and that is Bob Ford. Bob is a guy who is the director of instruction for many years at Oakmont and now down at Seminole. So you want to talk about two of the best golf courses on the planet, and he was the director of instruction at both of them. Really looking forward to having Bob back on the show. Chris Kosky is also going to make a long overdue return to the show. Chris is the vice president of sales and marketing for Adele Golf, so looking forward to catching up with him. And then we'll round out the show with a visit from David Purcell. David is the owner of Purcell Farms, which is a fabulous resort over in Alabama. Looking forward to learning all about that place. So it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with me. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites and apps like podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Player.fm. If you have a favorite podcasting site, we're probably on it. Just check us out in the uh, search bar. Go up in there and type next on the T. We're probably in there for you. And folks, if you enjoy the show, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show in their Hot 50 list. When you go to podcastmagazine.com, you'll see Hot 50 right there at the top of the page. Just click on that. You'll get a drop-down menu. With, you'll see Hot 50 voting. Click on that. And then just type in the name of the show next on the T and my name in the host section, Chris Mascaro. I really appreciate your support, folks. You got us into the top 20 last month. We're actually at number 16. Goal is now to get inside the top 10. So you have an opportunity. You can vote up to once a day. So as often as you see fit, please go in there and vote for the show. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.